Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Winging It in Hockey Town podcast here. I'm Chris Langlois. And I'm Mike Slipchuk, and we're very excited to uh, to provide episode two for you guys. Um, as you'll notice, we uh, we did change our logo. And Mike, if you want to talk about why we changed our logo. Yeah, for sure. So we changed our logo um, for, you know, the main reason actually is you'll see it's a green ribbon. Um, so symbolic of uh, mental health. And, and I guess you know, it's, it's pretty key now, especially being in Canada and, and, you know, a lot of these provinces are in lockdown, um, bad weather, um, is key to, is mental health, keeping your health, uh, mental health in check. Um, and obviously for professional athletes as well. And we actually, my girlfriend and I just got back from uh, Dominican Republic, beautiful Punta Cana. And I would urge, uh, Canadians as much as they can to, to travel, obviously be very, um, respectful of the protocols and be very careful, but it was totally worth it to, as opposed to having a staycation to getting out of Canada and really, you know, winding down and not really worrying about reality back home in Canada. So, um, that is also why we've waited a little bit to release episode two. So I appreciate your patience, but, um, obviously mental health and and Chris, you can touch on it as well as, you know, Chris and I aren't professional athletes, but you know, we can speak from experience everyone has their ups and downs in life. And um, whether you're, you know, a teacher or a commercial banker like myself, or you're a professional athlete, and especially these professional athletes, everyone hones in on physical health, and the importance of physical health, especially when they're at that tip top shape, and they're the the tip of their game, right, the tip top of their game. Uh, Mental health is just as equally as important, if not more important for a lot of these professional athletes. Yeah, I I think the, uh, the topic of mental health is just kind of starting to get the respect that it deserves. Um, you know, 10 years ago, nobody really talked about mental health, um, especially in the world of professional sports. Um, like this year, for instance, we have Kerry Price, who uh, announced, uh, it was announced shortly before the season that he wouldn't be playing um, because he needed to take care of himself, which he's uh, still doing. So, I think it's starting to earn the respect that it deserves. And you're right. It is in all facets of our life as a teacher. I mean, the government of Alberta uh, conducted a study and it found that mental health uh, on youth has taken such a drastic hit since the start of COVID. Um, And for so many different reasons. So I think we need to, to spread the word and get people comfortable talking about mental health and uh, knowing that there are things they people they can talk to or programs out there to help them absolutely well said and uh you know i'll touch on price too but um hey folks it it is okay to not be okay uh and it is okay to to reach out for help um it's literally it you know even an an unbiased opinion and this is what these athletes go through every day uh is you know that the pressure to perform at their top level the pressure to um keep that uh that apps you know that progression going and to you know reach the next levels you know in cases for these young athletes that are looking to jump to the next level um you know it's it's absolutely key and that that's why they have these sports psychologists in place uh you know there's no shame in in reaching out for help and um you know i bet you if you were to talk to a lot of these athletes they a lot of them may appear really confident but they still it's there's no shame in, in reaching for help and having that, I guess, unbiased opinion to, you know, to kind of like, you know, spread your feelings to and, 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 you know, speak logically. Right. And they can kind of help put things into perspective for you. 
Yeah. So, and, and, and we were going to touch on, you know, obviously price absolutely. And obviously could be probably is the best goalie of all time. Uh, unfortunately hasn't won a cup yet, but you know, he, he as well as anyone is, is entitled to that space away from, you know, from work or uh, everyday routine of him, you know, going to the rink, um, spending more time with his family. And uh, you know, I, I absolutely give him the most credit uh, possible then the most respect. Um, it's, I think it's fantastic that he's taking some time away from the game. Obviously it's hurting the, the Montreal Canadians right now, but uh, you know, he's definitely entitled to that time. So I just have to uh, rewind a little bit and say that um, I personally don't think Carey Price is the best goalie of all time. That, that would go to Dominic Hasek, the dominator in my opinion, but Hey, um, two really good goalies. So, and that you think about, you know, Price, had he been uh, at a different, in a different team, I should say, performing at a different team, how many cups he possibly could have won, right? You know, you put him with, you know, think about the teams in the last 15 years, you know, the Blackhawks or Pittsburgh or, you know, even Washington, um, how many cups he could have won. Obviously, there's some salary cap uh, calculations that you'd have to make there as a general manager, but, uh, you know, for what he has provided for that for Habs fans for the Montreal organization. It is absolutely tremendous. He is the best Montreal Canadian player possibly ever to play. Oh, um, for sure, yeah. You know, and obviously there's the list goes on. There's great, great Montreal Canadians player Guy Lafleur. You had Patrick Wall for a bit there. Uh, Sack until <laughs> the Red Wings ruined that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, anyhow, uh, that is the you know the reason why. Uh, we, we, we did change our logo and we think it's, it's very fitting, um, you know, for not just for athletes, for, you know, everyday people. Right. So uh, it doesn't hurt to, to reach out and, and discuss your feelings. If you are feeling uh, periods of downness, right. Uh, it's completely normal. So. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people don't realize it, um, but if you're an NHL player, you're playing 82 games a season. Um. So you, you're at home for 41 games, and then you're in the road for 41 games. Um, you don't get to have kind of a normal lifestyle that, you know, a lot of families can have. Um, I remember in, um, uh, I think it was 2010, we met Nick Lidstrom uh, in our hometown at the Vollmer. I'll tell you, I'd never driven so fast in my life when I found out he was there. But anyway. <laughs> I still remember the day I sent you the text because my mom was sort of cut off, Chris. My uh, my mom was there with my youngest brother. Uh, he was doing um, summer hockey there at uh, in LaSalle, a small yeah. town here outside of Windsor. And uh, she, my mom texts me. She goes, "You'll never believe it. Nick Litchum's here." So the first person I texted, you know, his biggest fan of all time, Chris. And then literally, I can I can attest to this. Chris was there within two or three minutes. It well, was I unbelievable. Called, I called Justin on the way, and I told him, I said, "Nick Litchum's at the Vollmer. I'll pick you up." But I said, you need to walk to the end of the street, like by the high school, because I'm not wasting time to go get you. So you need to be there, get in the car, and on we go. And uh, we got there, and we there was like a group of like six of us, I think, like between me and you and your like brother and uh, Justin, and there's a couple other people. Anyways, we got up to the stands where Listrum was sitting completely by himself, like a normal person. Um, and he could see that we were like, we, we, I think we went and sat like right behind him. <laughs> and then we sat awkwardly for a minute and you were like excuse me mr nick Lidstrom, sir <laughs> and he just kind of turned around and he said guys i'll talk to you at the end of the period i'd love to but i just want to watch my son play right now 
And that really, that really sat with me because I thought to myself, how often does this guy get to watch his son play hockey? Because, and this was in the summer. So he's, you know, doing summer hockey, it's a lot easier for him. But during the winter, when, when his sons were actually playing meaningful hockey, how often would he be able to go watch? Because you're on the road all the time or you're preparing for games. And it's just such, the expectations are so high for these professional athletes that it's easy to forget that they don't get to have the normal. Oh, for sure. We get to have. And for sure. And like you nailed it on the head, like not just with Litchum, you know, these guys, I think a lot of people assume professional athletes, all they do is, you know, they, you know, practice, warm up and then they play the game. Uh, no, there's a lot more They, you know, they're sitting down with their, their agents, they're sitting down with their team members, they're doing off ice training, they're in the gym, they're napping before games, yeah. they're speaking with their coaching staff, right? Um, preparing for their next game, like there's so much prep work, not just physical, but mental that goes into, you know, preparing for these big games. Yeah. And what I would say, uh, I remember even like Craig Anderson, like what a, what a guy. Like his, you know, his wife uh, was battling uh, breast cancer, I believe it was, uh, a few years back, and he got that yeah, shout out in Edmonton, in 2017 or something like that. Yeah, yeah and he got yeah. two two back to back games uh, with a shutout. Like, and you know, obviously for him, like he didn't have that time to be spending with his wife, right? And uh, so it's it is it's a, it's an absolute grind, especially when you're on the road. And and Wings fans will know, like all those years when they were in the East Conference Ugh. and they were traveling to the West, and you know there's a time difference there. There's you know lag, travel, right? It, well, it, it was hard it enough for us just to stay up to watch the games, yeah. like ten thirty uh, games. Yeah, yeah. Like I can only imagine how hard it'd be on the players. And you know we're going to talk about it later today because it actually applies to this year's Red Wings. But you know even to come home and play your first home game after the West Coast trip you know they always lacked energy even back then yep um because it, sure. it is difficult your body has to readjust and your routine's a little bit off and um no. these players all have their routines i mean i remember watching um something about listrom and holmstrom where every home game they had the same routine every day right like they like you said they they go to the rink do a workout get on the ice for a little bit of shooting around warm up get ready for the game go home and have a nap. And then they always went to have an early dinner at the same restaurant. They sat at the same table, ordered the same meal. Like it's, it's unreal. The prep work that goes into the success of these players. And I mean, different players have different, you know, different routines and different pieces of prep work, but um, it's, it's their life. It's not just a job for them. It is their life. Um, and it takes a toll. For sure. And yeah, you've nailed it on the head. But uh, so like, you know, wrapping up, like, you know, these guys, not just hockey players, you think about even like a baseball player, they play 162 games in a regular season. Like that is a lot of baseball. Obviously there's times when they have two, two times they play in a, in a day when they're playing a series, but it's, it is grueling. Like, and it, the physical wear and tear, the mental wear and tear on these players, especially, mm -hmm. you know, uh, these players being away from their families and, you know, spouses, it's, uh, you know, you got to be definitely mentally strong, right? So, yep. Anyhow, Chris, you want to touch on uh, the agenda? Yeah. So today uh, we have some exciting things to talk about. Um, one, I've been uh, really excited to talk about since it happened, um, and that's discussing the uh, recent signing of Nicholas Listrom as uh, executive vice president of uh, hockey relations. Um, hockey operations. Hockey operations, right? 
Um, like that, there's just so much to talk about there. Um, and then we'll move into um, kind of analyzing uh, some of the recent games, starting with uh, the West Coast games um, and then uh, going from there. Um, and then we're going to touch on some of the Edmonton Oilers drama that's been going on because, man, oh, man, like they started out the season uh, so good. Um, but now I believe they are like three, nine and two in their last uh, stretch of games. Um, there was a stretch that they had two, they only had two wins since December 2nd. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they obviously had an excited win last night, which we can, we can kind of touch on, but um, yeah. Um, and then from there, um, just talking about some uh, fun NFL playoffs games that have been going on. Some uh, pretty crazy uh, endings. Um, and then kind of wrap things up. We'll go into, I know it's a little bit early still, but uh, a trade deadline preview. Um, not just for the Red Wings, but for, uh, with other teams as well. Uh, what teams might be doing, who, what players they might be looking at, what players might be available. Um, and then we'll wrap things up. Awesome. So I guess we'll kind of kick it off here. Uh, yeah, I remember, you know, the day that uh, Lichstrom got hired. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I work from home and I got the notification and I literally had to do like a double take uh, on my phone because I, I literally didn't believe it, because it kind of came out of nowhere. You you did see that Lidstrom would come back in some kind of big capacity back to the Red Wings. Obviously, he's a born and bred Red Wing uh, his whole career. But when the news came out, I was so excited, like I was speechless, and I had you know millions of texts from some of my buddies that are that are Wings fans. And I remember texting you, Chris, because you were probably uh, in the classroom at the time. But uh, I was just. It was, I was on cloud nine and um, I probably drove my girlfriend. That's how excited I was. But my, I was texting my one buddy actually. And he said, man, you should just call in the ticket. Cause the ticket is a radio station here in the Detroit Windsor area. And they focus on Detroit sports, but they primarily touch on the Detroit lions. And, and you know, I don't know just, why, cause there's not much to talk about with them. For sure. And, and I, you know, <laughs> the bulk, yeah. So he's like, you should call in. And, and I'm like, oh, I've been down this road before I've called into the, the radio station and they've just, seen my Canadian number and, and, and hung up or, or was just too busy. So I actually got through on the second ring and he put me through the waiting and I ended up uh, connecting with uh, the gentleman there. And at first I was like, Oh my God, this is like nerve wracking. Right. But then I'm like, you know, this, I'm passionate about this. And, and it was great. I, I got to touch on, uh, he asked me the question, like why he's going to impact uh, the Red Wings organization moving forward. And obviously Huge news for, for the Red Wings and, you know, Eisman and Lichstrom kind of rekindling again um, after all those years of playing uh, on the ice together. Well, I mean, for for me, Lichstrom is, you know, his nickname is the perfect human, and there's a reason for it. Um, just going through his career, and I mean, I could talk about his playing career for forever. Um, he was drafted in 1989 in the second round. I believe he was 52nd overall. 53rd. 53rd overall like unbelievable um to get that talent that you know that is not late that late in the draft but like like he is a generational player or he was a generational player and usually um, like with his career you'd think he'd be a first overall maybe second overall yeah. literally he's in the second round and in the late second round yeah. right? because back then they didn't have the amount of teams they had now um so even being 53rd overall like that is late in the second round so like that is what a diamond in the rough that uh, the, the Illich family and, and the Red Wings organization found. Yeah. But I'll let you continue. Um, four Stanley Cups. 
three of them as a uh, assistant captain and one as a captain. And in the process, uh, that made him the first European captain of all time in the NHL to win a Stanley Cup. Um, and that was in 2008. Um, you know, when he took over for cap- the captaincy after Stevie Y retired, like, there was no doubt in my mind that was the guy to pick. Um, no, mo- n- no doubt. Um, in 2002, he won the Conn Smythe in the playoffs. Um, first European and, player to do that. And you think about, like, the amount of talent and performance level that that team had that 2002 and and personally, you know, and I'm obviously biased, but uh, you know, there's been some great Oilers teams. There's been some great Islanders teams, Montreal teams, right. Uh, Toronto even. Um, But I would say like that O2 team was the best hockey team I've ever seen aside from Olympics, all-star teams. I mean, you had Pavel Datsuk was in and out of the lineup at that time. And he had, I believe he was at that time, he was 24 or 25. You had, you know, the that, professor. Datsuk, uh, Luke Robitaille, and um, Brett Hall was their third line. Two kids, yeah. And then like, they that's Devereaux disgustingly there. Yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, and then you look at the decor, you look at the, the quality of net minders. You had uh, yeah, Dominic Hasek. Dominic Hasek was, you still playing at a high, high level. Yeah. And, uh, and even up front, you know, you saw at Eisman, you had Shannon, you had Fedorov, you had Larionov, you had uh, Datsuk, Brett Hall, Robitaille. Like, the list just goes on. And then, obviously, your legendary coach in Scotty Bowman. Like, just think of the personnel on that ice. And certainly, it wasn't easy for Bowman to manage some of those those personalities, right? When You know, the higher level you get, you, you probably have some, there's some well, I mean, you know, they, confidence. Uh, but... They started the playoffs 0-2 against Vancouver that year. Oh, I, I still remember. I still remember, like at the Joe, they, them going down 0-2 to Bertuzzi and Naslin, and I think yeah. it, was, it was Dan Clouche at that time coaching. Yes, and Mark Crawford. Yes. Mark Crawford was their coach. Yeah, and literally the writing was on the wall. Like, okay, something has to change in Game Three, or this this team, this really this team that was put together over the summer prior to two thousand one, two thousand two, is going to go down with a sweep or you know well, five games. You know, it just takes a. Swedish god of a player to score from the center ice. <laughs> and change the whole game. Change, change the whole, whole series. It, change it all. Um, but I mean, you also have Iserman. He had a players only meeting after game two. And he kind of got everyone together and said, like, come on, we are a bunch of amazing hockey players, legends. Um, we're not going to lose. And they went out and took over the series. And uh, uh, from there on out, um, they dominated the playoffs. Um I mean, Colorado, we took them to seven games, but we slaughtered them in game seven. Yep. And then that was the end of that rivalry that night. Um, Yeah. Yeah. For the time being. And then they re they remet in the 2008 playoffs, but uh, anyhow, we murdered. Anyways, (laughs) we get sidetracked all the time. Um, And then um, Nick Lidstrom um, scored the game winning goal for Sweden to win the Olympic gold in 2006. I remember uh, Sundin gained the Torino. And uh, yeah, Torino and Torino. Uh, Matt Sundin gained the zone, dropped it to Lidstrom, one timer, boom, score. Um, he he literally just did it all. Seven Norris trophies as the best defenseman in the NHL, and he should have won it more times. He didn't win it till he was in his thirties for crying out loud. It's yeah, unbelievable. And like, like he would have broke the record, no doubt in my mind, had the NHL not been biased towards European players until the late nineteen nineties. Yeah, I think he could have at least at least nine Norris trophies, but I mean, still seven is 
unbelievable. Uh, yeah, and I mean, just think of like the thing about Lister is he was a great player, but he was one of, if not the smartest hockey players of all time. Um, when you watched him on the ice, he just saw the play so much more advanced than what other players could. Um, I remember in 2009, um, uh, for a while in the playoffs, I think Brian Rafalski was injured. Uh, he, he had to miss some games. So the Red Wings played Jonathan Erickson with Nicholas Lidstrom. And th- this was Erickson's first season with the Red Wings. 2009, yeah. Yeah, 2009. Um, and I remember back then, like, a lot of us Red Wings fans were like, wow, this Jonathan Erickson really looks legit. <laughs> um, and that's credit to Nick Lidstrom because I honestly think you could put a pylon on the ice and Nick Lidstrom could make that pylon look good. That's oh, what for, kind of a good player Lidstrom was. For crying out loud, I'm a wash-up. I'm a out-of-shape beer league player. <laughs> and I could probably look half-decent out there. Yeah, um, That's just how smart he was. He made everyone around him that much more that much more aware on the ice and, and yeah. the hockey IQ that he brought. And, and, and he utilized their strengths. He brought out their strengths. Um, and you couldn't really see their, their fallbacks because he was just, he could just cover for um, sure. He was just that good. And um, he was never, and I'm the first one to say, uh, I, I personally agree. Um, I, I mean, Bobby Orr is up there as well. Obviously the top two, in my opinion, are Bobby Orr and, and Lichstrom, but Lichstrom was never the most talented player, the most, you know, the fastest hockey player didn't have the best hands, the most skill. What he brought was durability, hockey IQ. And he was just, he, the way he could read the play and he could avoid getting hit in the process. Like, yeah. He and he barely ever took penalties. He didn't need to because he was a. He was so smart with his body positioning and also the use of his stick. Like, and yeah. and it's just like he. Not, there's not a lot of players I could say that about. So uh, it was very exciting to have him. Um, and, and, on the wings. and his his ability to, uh, you know, he generated offense very easily. Um, like nothing fancy. He walked the line, head up, and put the puck where he wanted it to go. Whether it be on net directly, whether it be hitting the uh, backboards behind the net to come out in front, whether it be aiming for Tomas Holmstrom, um, he knew what he was doing with that puck, and he kept it simple and he did it. Um, there's nothing fancy about his game, but he got it done. And <laughs> so he was, he was one of the most efficient players to ever play, yeah. uh, and that guy could log 30 minutes. Like he oh. was like like they said, and, and you alluded to it, the perfect human, not on the, not just on the ice, but off the ice. Uh, he was, you know, wouldn't say a bad thing about a soul. Um, was well-liked in the room. Everyone wanted to be around him. Everyone wanted to be like him, but he never took credit for being a great hockey yeah. player. He always, you know, he used to say it about Konstantinov, you know, Konstantinov's a better player, this and that. Uh, very, very professional. And then obviously, you know, his, his on-ice play speaks for itself. But uh, I remember there was one, uh, interview. It was Bobby Ryan when he was still playing with the Ducks. It's funny that he ended up becoming a Red Wing at, at a later date, but he was so frustrated. Tried dumping the puck in. I think it was the course of three times over the game, and he was like not just flicking it, like wrist shots into the yeah. zone to get it deep. And Lichtman was just knocking him down, knocking him down. Yeah. And then like I, I can't remember if he was mic'd up or not, but he was just so frustrated because like that was what Lichtman did, and he was just like you said, not fancy. Just efficient, very yeah. smart. So, yeah. and then obviously hand-eye coordination for him was, oh. <laughs> was out of this world. But yeah, yeah, I remember the uh, game six against Pittsburgh. Um, they dumped Pittsburgh. You know, pulled their goalie and the down by one. 
last couple of minutes, and they go to dump. This is in the dying seconds, actually. Dump the puck in. Lidstrom gloves it down and quickly makes a play out of the zone. Like, like nothing. Like, like it's almost like he just somehow slows the game down in his head and just controls every aspect. Um, and he was very rarely did he ever get beat one on one. Even if, the, oh, yeah. even if, the, even if the opposing player was super fast, like fa- faster than Lidstrom, because most players were. I would say I wouldn't say most, but a lot of players were faster than Lidstrom. And I oh, know sure. I still remember one game, like Pavel Berea. The guy was Russian rocket. He did beat him wide. It was when Berea was playing for the Panthers, and that was very you very rarely saw that because the way he would position himself, he would adjust his skating and and the uh, the amount of ice that he'd provide between him and the other player based on their skill level. Um, their amount of speed coming into the zone, into the into Detroit's defensive zone, and it was actually funny. They were saying uh, Paul Bizanet and the boys on um, Spit and Chicklets the other day when uh, after Litchum got hired as the VP, they were saying, "Do you guys think Litchum could still be a top twenty defenseman?" Like uh-huh. they, you know, they fed that out to the yeah. the audience, and absolutely, a hundred percent. Would he need some conditioning? Probably, absolutely, he'd need quite a bit of conditioning, but he. Did he like I said, durability. The guy pl- literally, rarely, rarely missed a game. Um, the only time he really missed a game was when they were resting him for the playoffs. So A is durable. He's super smart, and like I said, he was never the most talented player. He was never the fastest skater, but he didn't need to be because he was just that smart. And you know, he he, he never missed a playoff game until two thousand nine. Isn't it? It's and, and you know why he missed the the, the playoffs? The play, he missed one game, I believe it was. Because he had to get surgery on one of his testicles. That's literally what happened. Because he was uh, speared or whatever in yeah. uh, against Chicago. So he missed, yes, he missed game five in Detroit against Chicago. Um, and he was back for game one against Pittsburgh. One I remember. Game, he missed one playoff game. That's insane. And the and, Wings. And think of, think of the hard-hitting series they would have had his entire career. Oh, um, especially but back one, in. One of the things is. Like you alluded to, his off-ice character, even players on the other teams respected him so much that they weren't going for those massive hits against Listrom. Yeah, um, they'd finish his check. Like, you know, yeah. they'd, they'd rub him out on the boards. But, they, yeah. you know, guys weren't putting a target on his back. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, um, he still had some times where he did get, you know, uh, hit pretty pretty solidly. But, yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah. Um, he, he going, really, back, going back to pa- your Pavel Burry comment, I think uh, Nick Listrom had the flu that night, and uh, that's probably why Burry somehow. You know. I totally disagree. <laughs> Pavel Burry could back in his day in the '90s. There, he was so fast; it looked like he was running on the ice, like his stride. And no disrespect to Listrom, I think out of ten times one on one, you know, Listrom probably stops him eight or nine, but. I disagree. Like that Pavel Bure, his offensive prowess back in the day was arguably the best of his time. And, you know, that goes to the list of Yager. You saw Gretzky towards the late nineties, but Bure, had he played a full career, uh, I don't even want to know the numbers he would have put up. But uh, anyways, um, yeah. So Lidstrom VP hockey operations. So, so, so yeah, that, that's his playing career. So moving on to, to his role now, um, him and Steve Eiserman in the uh, press conference they gave um, it kind of sounded like they, they don't fully know yet what uh, th- their plan is for Lidstrom all in all. Um, I know he's going to be staying in Sweden. He's going to be working from Sweden. 
Yeah. Um, and he's basically doing anything um, hockey related for the Red Wings. Um, whether that be uh, watching uh, current prospect games, um, such as uh, Simon Edmondson or Albert Johansson or Wallinder. Wallinder. The list yeah, goes there, on. There, I mean, there's a lot over there. Um, um, whether Nier, it be. Nierbach. Mm-hmm, looking at players to draft this coming year for the 2022 draft, doing some scouting on them and reporting back to uh, Stevie Y. Um, whether it be every now and then he comes to Detroit to work with uh, uh, guys like Mort Sider or whatever. Um, you know, there's a question. A question came up at the press conference um, if he'll ever go on the ice with players. And Listrom didn't have an answer. He, you know, he kind of went back to the point where he said, we haven't really discussed everything yet. We still need to work out the details. Um, so whether that happens or not, who knows? Um, one thing he did touch on that I thought, like, wow. Um, he, he said he watched Simon Edvinson play when Edvinson was 17. That's when he first watched him play. And Lidstrom said he was wowed right away for a, a number of reasons. Number one, the size of Edvinson. Um, but his hockey IQ and his skating ability for such a large player. Um, oh, absolutely. And I'll jump in here. And I'm the biggest advocate for Simon Evanson. Uh, you know, obviously all the Swedish players that Red Wings have, have uh, had in the past. But, yeah, you're right. Usually at that age, you know, hockey is such a hand-eye coordination dominant sport. And, you know, you look at a guy like, Zdeno Chara. Obviously, he's taller than Evanson. At uh, he's listed at six nine, but you know he still had a great. He still has a great career going. But he was never. He was never super super coordinated in the sense like he was a, kind of a sloppy skater. Yeah. Edvinson skates like he's five foot eleven. Yeah. And, it, and it's he scary flies. how good he skates. Yeah. And, and he has hands like holy man, like really good hands. Like a finesse player. And I, yeah. I mentioned the other night to you, and you know, people can call me crazy. McDavid is by far the fastest player in the NHL, the fastest player we have ever seen in the NHL. Um, obviously, I can't speak for the future, but I would say wait till Evanson comes into the NHL. I'm not saying he's going to be as fast as McDavid, but I do believe that could he keep up with him? Absolutely. The thing when you're six five, six six, it is more effortless. You have longer yeah. legs. Your stride yeah. is that much longer, right? Uh, whereas McDavid is listed at six six one, and don't and I'm trust me guys, I'm not get you know saying McDavid is is uh, a slow player here, but I honestly think Edmondson will be very close in speed, um, and even like Hedman, when Hedman gets going, he literally from blue line to blue line, he probably takes three or four strides, if that. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable when you watch. Um... Uh, video footage of Edvinson playing in the SHL in Sweden. Um, like like I talked about earlier with Lidstrom, Lidstrom kept a very kind of simple simple game, whereas Edvinson is a little bit more finesse. Like he has hands and he likes to carry the puck into the zone and create plays and blah, blah, blah. So Edvinson will go into the zone and, you know, create chances. But then when he loses the puck, watching him skate back is unbelievable. Because like you said, Four strides, <laughs> effortless. He's back there, covering his own position. Oh, he did it. He did it in the World Juniors. He jumped yeah. in on the play on an odd man rush, and he got caught. 
and you better believe he was back and he did, and he ended up uh, ending the play defensively. Like, yeah, but, and, and he and, did it like, and he did it like, like, like nothing. Like, for there sure. was almost Eff- no effort. Effortless. And just think of the radius that he covers um, as a defenseman. And like, let's just say on the PK, right? The radius that he covers when he's covering those passing lanes and in front of the net and, you know, blocking, even blocking shots, his reach and wingspan is it's tremendous mm-hmm. and, 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 it and he reminds, uses an extended stick oh his stick yeah it's, i don't even know what is the the length of the stick that he uses i, I forget it's... the length but i watched a swedish documentary um a week and a half ago or something like that and it was all in swedish so i didn't really fully understand what what was being said um, but there was there were subtitles for certain parts of it and he was talking about his stick length and he said he he uh has an extended stick like so even longer than he should have is essentially what he has. So imagine you're six foot six and you have an extended stick and you skate like him, you know, good luck. And still have to be able like, usually when you have a longer stick, typically it's harder to puck handle. Yeah. Um, and his ability to puck handle already is amazing. And the fact mm-hmm. that he does it with such a long stick, but yeah. anyways, to our point with Lidstrom um, already being overseas and pretty much has been since he retired in 2012 He's been acting as a scout for the Red Wings uh, from 2012 to 2015. And he was also, I know, the GM of uh, the Swedish uh, national team as well. And he's been working with a lot of these Red Wings prospects. You better believe it. Uh, Same with Nicholas Cronwell, right? And one thing with Edmondson, what I'd say, where Litchum's going to be really, really key in Edmondson's development is, and and I've said this in the past, uh, my one flaw that I see with Edmondson is, Yes, he can tighten up defensively, which Lidstrom will definitely help with that. And then obviously when he comes to the NHL, uh, he'll learn like that. But um, what is getting a shot through uh, yes. from the point. Yeah. And, and Lidstrom never had the hardest shot in the NHL, not even close. But his placement of his shot and where he, uh, you know, whether for, like you said, off the backboards, Lidstrom's really going to, I think, help the development, not just with Evanson, but um, in other aspects Sider. of other players' games, yeah. right? Sider and, and even some of the forwards as well. I'm sure he can provide some assistance yeah. as well. So the scouting aspect is going to be huge. Uh, the development aspect for Lidstrom is going to be huge. And then who knows what other roles within his role that he's going to have yeah. moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree completely. I think the Red Wings would be silly not to utilize Lidstrom on the ice to work with players like Edmondson on their shot um, or not even just their shot, but um, Lidstrom ran our power play for 20 years and he could do it all. He knew where to pass the puck. He knew what play to make when his ability to walk the line and just get that shot through was second to none. The thing with, uh, I see Cider in, uh, I'd say the last 15 games, he's been shooting the puck a lot more. Um, yeah, he's been doing one timers a lot more. Um, I would still like to see some more, like you know, basic slap shots. Just get it to the net, but he's he's getting better in that regard. That's one thing Edmondson almost never does a slap shot. Um, so and I mean, some players it's not their strength. I know Scott Niedermeyer back in the day, you very rarely saw him do a slap shot. He didn't need to. He, he was too smart. To. Yeah. yeah, but I would still like to see Lichtman work with him on that. And I mean, could you imagine as like an 18, 19, 20 year old player skating on the ice with Nick Lidstrom? I, like, I was I was just going to touch on that and um, the the qualitative factor. So, you know, the physical attributes of him helping develop players and, uh, you know, teaching him A and B, 
um, is, is, is awesome. It's, it's huge for the team moving forward and these young prospects, but it's the persona that he brings his credibility, you know, yeah. his resume says it all. And, and like you said, he is the perfect human. He is very quiet when he goes about his stuff. He was very quiet as, as a Red Wing on the ice and the impact that he's going to bring to the game is, is massive for the Red Wings moving forward. Just because like you said, I can only imagine I'm a 30-year-old. If I'm in the NHL even, I, I literally would be on cloud nine just to see number five come on the ice and you know teach us a thing or two or, or multiple, right? Many, I should say, uh, tips of the game. It's, it's going to be massive. And you better believe every single one on the Red Wings right now was pumped. Uh, not just the players. I'm sure the players are on cloud nine seeing that hiring. And they realize the impact he's going to have. But you think about the other personnel, like how excited Chris Draper was, Kirk Maltby. You know, these guys, obviously Eisman's very excited, but Eisman's very quiet professionally, right? Yeah. But the excitement that he brings. And yes, I know he's not here physically. He's doing the, the role remotely for the time being. But just you think about that impact. And, you know, Chris, I, I spoke before uh, we jumped on here regarding the hiring. You know, I don't think it's, could he have an impact right away? Yes. I think from a psychological or mental st- standpoint for these players, uh, for sure, like I just touched on, but what he's actually going to do for the team, it could take a little bit of time. Um, I know he's been doing uh, the scouting and whatnot for the Red Wings um, in the past, but his role is probably going to be one that kind of changes over time. And who knows, maybe he ends up becoming – um, you know, a, a year for, for Eisman of who to draft. I'm sure he already has. Uh, I, I personally think, and I, I, you know, I have no inside knowledge to this, but I personally think Nick Listrom saw Simon Edmondson play. And I think he had a very big hand in Steve Eiserman drafting Simon Edmondson. Um, that's my, that's my personal opinion. Um, but when Steve Eiserman was brought back to Detroit, I remember I was working that day at the school and you, I think, called me or texted me or something, and you sent an article. And I, and I, 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 we, we knew it was coming. It was only a matter of time. Um, but then it came earlier than we thought because Eiserman was still under contract with Tampa Bay, I believe, for, he, for a year. He stepped down as the GM, and he gave it to Brisebois, and then he was acting as like an assistant, right, um, in a for that capacity. year. Yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah, and then in like April of that year was when it was announced that Steve Eiserman was coming back to Detroit as general manager. That was, in my opinion, the biggest news for Red Wings fans since 2000, the summer of 2008 when Marion Hossa signed Hossa, yeah, with yeah, Detroit. Yeah. And like yeah, that, was, that was massive news at the time because they just came off a cup win and you bring yeah. in an all-star player like Hossa, yeah. right, who's game-changing. Yeah. But the Eiserman hiring was just that much better. And, yeah. and fans were obviously – you know, I give Kenny Hall a ton of respect for what he's he provided for the Red Wings, but it was just he reached that point where it, you know, in the non-salary cap era, heavy draft, you got to rely on drafting, quick trades, low con, you know, low-term contracts, cheaper contracts, and not overpaying players. His time was coming to an end, so I know it was a huge breath of fresh air for Eisen to come back, and I only sensed the same for the Lichstrom hiring. Yeah, and when Eisenman came back, like. No offense to Ken Holland. He never really had a good year since 2009. 
Um, and I understand, I respect the fact that, you know, your legends are retiring, Lichstrom and Rafalski and Datsuk, etc. I get that. But some of the, the offseason moves he made were just really questionable. The trades he made for like guys like Kyle Quincy like were mind-boggling. Oh, and, and, and let's, like, let's, let's, let's touch on – Touch on what? I was going to say let's touch on that one. That, so, <laughs> folks, I don't know if you guys remember. So, to keep the playoff streak going, we were obviously a team on the downhill – um, to, to beefen up our decor, we reacquired a guy that we had already had in the past in Kyle Quincy. We traded a first round pick that first round pick. So we traded that to Tampa and what a, what a genius on the other end. Who's the general manager of yeah, Tampa, he, Stevie yeah, Eisenman, Eisenman. Yeah. that first round pick turns out to be, uh, that Andre Vasilevsky. Okay. Yeah. So that's one, <laughs> two, another one that I note of is, uh, when we acquired Robert Lang, which Robert Lang ended up being a pretty decent centerman for the wings uh we didn't win a cup with him but we traded a first round pick and there was i know there was other uh picks and prospects involved in the trade but the first round pick to the washington capitals and then we get robert lang that first round pick ended up being the draft used to draft uh the draft pick used to uh pick up uh mike green yeah 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 so you think about those two pieces, and I get, I get it, like draft picks don't always pan out, but obviously those two gentlemen panned out quite nicely, and obviously Vasilevsky is still playing. Could you imagine if we had those, if we just said, you know what, with the playoffs, but I understand the, how important the playoffs were for the Red Wings and keeping that streak going, right? And they ended up topping out at 25 years, but had you had those two players, like it's just, it, you know, it's a what-if scenario, but it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when Iserman came back, it was, it was, uh, he brought a certain respect factor, um, but a belief factor as well. Like suddenly there was a, a sense of belief and hope. Um, Red Wings fans were all aboard whatever Iser plan he had. I mean, we all call it the Iser plan. Um, he, he made the Red Wings significant again, even though they are still not very good, um, or we're not very good. Um, I mean, look, you look at fan attendance this year at, uh, at the Red Wings games, like they're, they're doing very well considering uh, they're not a good team yet, like a really good team yet. Um, you go back to th- 2008 when they were the Stanley Cup champions, there were home games where there was a lot of empty seats. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't have been much to think about uh, that the Red Wings would be having a lot of trouble selling tickets as they are rebuilding. But once Stevie Y came back, the Red Wings fans, they saw the, the players being drafted. They saw some of the trades he was making for guys like uh, Fabry and Verana. Um, they, they, they're buying into the system, and they want to watch it. They want to see. They want to watch the progress, see the players grow. And it's all accredited to Steve Eiserman and the patient uh, path that he's uh, setting the Red Wings on. Um, he's made them a destination already for players um, and just wait until their rebuild is like really over. Um, there's more players who are going to want to come. And now you add in Nick Ledstrom. For sure. And in my biased opinion, by far the best management duo in the league. Like, you know, and, and, and no disrespect, David Poy amazing general manager for the Nashville Predators. You had Dave Talon for the Florida Panthers. He was an awesome GM. Lou Lamorello with the Islanders, fantastic. But, I mean, you have two guys that are Hall of Fame hockey players and, in my opinion, two of 
the best Red Wings by far of all time, yeah. um, side by side. And, and notice, you know, Gordie Howe is a legend right, himself. Uh, but... I, I want to put you on the spot here just because. I know, okay. I know uh, some friends of ours think we agree on too many things, so I feel like we will disagree on this one. Who do you think is a better player, was a better player for the Red Wings, Steve Eiserman or Nicholas Lidstrom, and why? Oh, it's, you know, I love Lidstrom, but Steve Eiserman, and I'll tell you why. Uh, he, so when he was drafted in 1983, very similar to Mitch Marner for you Lee's fans, uh, fourth overall, um, what he did for the Detroit city was put them on the map for hockey. Um, they were at that time when he was drafted and I was obviously not born yet, but the stories I hear, they were having a hard time even getting any fans in the stands. They were like the Illich family was having to provide cars, like, like literally, you know, the opportunity for fans to win cars just to get people in the seats. And you think not just his, you know, one goal that stands out for me too, that was just phenomenal was 90, 1996 semi-conference finals against the blues game seven, double overtime and Gretzky and hall on the other end uh, with the blues, like the amount of talent they had, he went, he goes bar down on John Casey, like just inside the blue line. Like, and a lot of, fans obviously you know with your when you're at home there's a lot more pressure to win game seven so that's one goal but like what he brought as a leader and the overall play he that guy he was I remember the one year I can't recall it was 2001 against the LA Kings I think he was playing on like half like a broken leg and like that guy he just like his hockey heart his hockey IQ he was never the most skilled player very similar to Litchum but what he brought to the game and how he brought a group of talented players pretty much his whole career we'll say from 91 to 2006 was an absolutely stacked team and you know people may think that it's easy to be a captain of a team with such talent i could only imagine at that level some of those you know there was probably personality clashes in the dressing room and I'm sure he didn't always agree with Scotty Bowman, but what he brought to the game as a leader too, I, I think it's Steve Eisman. And obviously I mad respect for Lichstrom, but I know who you're going to say, but it's, it's Stevie Y <laughs> Stevie wonder Eisman, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I know a lot of most Red Wings fans. I know do say Steve Eisman. Um, however, um, as a defenseman myself, I, I think, uh, Lidstrom was de- was definitely a smarter hockey player, um, but I think um, in terms of like Lidstrom, people forget that Lidstrom was also a very good leader, um, a different kind of leader than Eiserman. I think Lidstrom led more uh, by his on ice. Uh, you know, people would just his teammates would see what he's doing on the ice and they just kind of follow suit when he needed to speak. He did. Um, but Lidstrom's skill level was just second to none. I mean, the guy played 30 minutes a game his entire career in all situations, shot guys like Wayne Gretzky down, made it when Lidstrom was 38 years old, when he played Pittsburgh in 2008, Lidstrom was 38 years old and he made Sidney Crosby look like a very average player. Um, because, yeah. because Lidstrom's just that good. Um, and like Iserman, Lidstrom played with all these talented players. Um, did he get you know along with every single one of them? Probably not. Well, I, um, I mean, I, I bet you, I bet you, Lidstrom did. He's who could who well, could dislike who yeah. could butt heads with Lidstrom. 
Not saying Eisman's um, like that, but and, and I mean, like even even a controversial figure like Mike Babcock. Um, you you have guys like Hank Zetterberg uh, have spoken out against Babcock. Johan Franzen. Johan Franzen. Lidstrom has never said one bad thing about Mike Babcock. In fact, uh, Lidstrom has only ever said positive things about Mike Babcock. Um, I remember uh, when Lidstrom retired in uh, 2012. Um, one of the things he talked about and uh, thanked was Mike Babcock for still believing in him even at an older age. Um, when yeah, Mike Babcock he... came to the Red Wings in 06, um, Lidstrom would have been uh, what, uh, 36 years old. So, um, you know, as a coach, you, you know, maybe you stop playing a guy like Lidstrom 30 minutes a game in all situations. But Mike Babcock never did. Even that, right up to when Lidstrom retired, he didn't really change the way he put, utilized Lidstrom. And Lidstrom appreciated that. And he kind of gave back to Babcock with the hard work that he put in to still be in the peak form that he needed to be in. But For I sure. Just think, I just think Listrom won it all with Iserman and Shanahan and Fedorov and all those guys. But then Iserman, Shanahan, they all kind of retired. And then, you know, we had this Datsuk and Zetterberg still on the team who um, they looked promising in 2006, but they weren't very good in the playoffs that year against well, uh, the Oilers. I'll correct you there. That was, so that was uh, Eisman's. Yeah, Eisman's last year. Eisman and Shanahan's last yeah, year. Yeah, was that, that, that was that was yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. So, but so we still had Datsuk and Zetterberg playing that year, but they they didn't look very good in the playoffs. And there was rumors at the time that Ken Holland was looking to trade Pavel Datsuk. Actually, believe it or not, um, thankfully that never materialized. But anyways, so they retire. Lidstrom becomes captain, and what does Lidstrom do as captain? Well, he just keeps on leading the way. The Red Wings won, uh, won the President's Trophy in 2007. They got screwed against the Ducks in 2007 in the playoffs. Um, I won't even, get, in, I won't even get into that. Injuries, yeah, injury. too. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the next year, they win the President's Trophy again, and they win the Stanley Cup. And then they go on to 2009. They won the President's Trophy again, and they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and, you know, really, they they uh, should have won the Stanley Cup. Um, I, yeah. I, I just think Lich, the longevity of Nick Lidstrom, um, to me, just out... I mean, Eiserman is fantastic, like you said, in every way possible. He was the best captain of all time in the NHL. In our opinion. Um, in our opinion. Yeah, I know. Mark Messier's uh, got some... Uh, Gretzky. <laughs> but but um, what I would say, too, with Lichum, um continuing on with the uh, the role that he's taken on, is obviously, you know, like you said, um, the destination. Uh, you know, the Red Wings, you know, they aren't in Tampa. They aren't in Florida. You know, they don't have that ability of, like, no state tax, uh, sunshine year-round, right? They don't have that attraction to it but you think about back in the 90s early 2000s what drove these free agents to come sign with the red wings was yes they were a great team they had a lot of success the illiches are possibly the best owners in sports and they treat their players like family but it's also they uh what was i going with this is the fact that they had these key people around them and they wanted to play for guys like scotty bowman legends right and now that you have lichstrom and or sorry, Eisenman back, uh, dating back to 2019 being the general manager that obviously 
sets a you know a second thought in a lot of players' minds, like, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to play under Steve Eisman, right? Yeah. And then now you just double that with adding Lidstrom, and yeah. it's like you have all these Swedish, not just Swedish defensemen, but Swedish players, whether they're forwards or goalies. And you got to believe that a lot of these players' idol was Nick Lidstrom growing up, especially for the defensemen. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to go play for an organization where it's partially led by Lidstrom? And moving forward, you better believe that he is going to have some kind of say. Obviously, Draper is the assistant to Eisenman when it comes to drafting, you know, trading, free agents. At the end of the day, it's Eisenman that has the final say. But now you've got more brainstorming power here. You have, you have yeah. Draper. You have Eisman, and now you have um, Nick Lidstrom at the table yeah. where, you know, instead of maybe going for a defenseman, they go for a forward or, you know, in this trade scenario, what are we looking to accomplish, right? So you just have all these powerful minds uh, that think alike, right? Um, and there will be some disagreements for sure, and that's only healthy, but it's, it's huge. And I think a lot of people don't realize the impact that this hiring is going to have for the, the team moving forward. What? So. So you, you brought up uh, Scotty Bowman there. You know, he, he was an attraction for players because he was Scotty Bowman. Do you think Jeff Blaschel will ever have that attraction? I can't even say it with a straight face. I, I tried. I really did. Okay. So uh, I personally think um, if, you, if you're a player that just is kind of getting towards the end of his career and just wants to play – you know, puck and, you know, sign for a league minimum deal and, you know, you have no stress, then, yeah, then, then, then there's that attraction where maybe you just don't really care anymore. Maybe you've already won your cups. But let's be honest, Jeff Blaschel doesn't have the credibility that any of those guys do. And, like, you know, I can only imagine. Obviously, I'm no NHL player, but, no, it's like uh, – that's it's laughable. And, obviously, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, and, and obviously, I, I do credit Blashow as well for, for what he's done. I think there's a lot of negatives there, but he's done some positives, I will say. But uh, I guess kind of wrapping up here on the, the Litchroom talk, and, and folks, obviously, this is a huge, huge moment for Wings fans and the Red Wings organization. So that's why we're, you know, uh, contributing so much time and it, yeah. spending so much time on this topic. Um, but yeah, any any final thoughts? I think of I've put all my thoughts on, on the actual hiring itself, but he's I, your guy. I, so. I just think that, um, you know, it's going to be a wait and see approach. Like we're not going to see results right away. I think they're going to iron out finer details of what things he's going to do. Um, and, and as the Red Wings come out of their rebuild, um, I think it's going to be more apparent the things Lidstrom's doing to contribute. Um, but I, I, I think we were already happy with where things are going uh, in terms of our, of our rebuild before this signing. And then this signing just, like, added, like, a rainbow on top of that. Like, it, it's almost like a Christmas gift to Red Wings fans because you, you just have all of these smart, successful hockey people running this team now. And what great structure for the current players role models for the current players to look up to like you think of when we get back into the playoffs which isn't going to be this year i'll I'll be shocked if it it would be but when they do you know what better way to seek guidance on previous past experience than knowing that your general manager 
or your vice president of everything hockey has been through it all and they can share their stories with these players. For sure. And there's going to be times, you know, the future is not going to be perfect for the Red Wings. Is it going to be successful? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind, but there's going to be their, their ups and downs and and there's going to be certainly their downs, just like like you said, Eisman and and Lichtstrom endured during their career, Um, you know, backs against the wall going into, you know, a possible game five where they're down three, one, you know, scenarios like that um, where, yeah, like you said, they have this, asset as a young player or mature player even the older players are going to be you better believe that they're going to go to not just Eisman they're going to go to Lichtman especially the defenseman like you know how'd you overcome this and they can literally shed light on that just through experience they've had uh, mentally and physically uh, especially during the playoffs right so yeah yeah, we'll have to wait and see but uh, definitely definitely huge huge news for for the Red Wings organization yeah so, I mean, it's something that we'll keep watching and uh, talk about when we need to. Um, uh, you know, hopefully in the off season, Iserman gives us another good announcement with a new coach. Um, and, someone who fits into the mold of um, the path forward, kind of like. So For yeah. sure. For sure, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I guess... Leads us to our next point, still hockey related, but uh, the drama out of Edmonton. Uh, you know, but, oh, I, I, I think you did. You want to do Edmonton first, or did you want to talk about our recent games first? My mistake. Yes, I'm uh, getting ahead of myself here. Yes, the so yeah, we'll touch um, on the Edmonton drama is fun, but we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, and 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 folks, sorry, it's uh, going to be a little bit of a longer episode just because of obviously the the huge news with Litchum. But uh, Chris, thanks for correcting me. Um, yeah, West Coast trip. We'll start with past uh, Wings games um, since our since our last podcast. So West Coast trip was horrible. Oh, well, it was horrible. Well, there was there was positives though. Let's let's start by giving credit to Alex Ndelkovich because he really upped his he he kind of was average a little bit. He fell down down to earth a little bit um, a little bit before Christmas. Not playing bad, but not playing like he was. Um, but then he went to L.A. And we lost, I think it was, what, 4 nothing. 4 nothing against L.A., yep. LA. The first of the but, And Nadelkovic still had like a 9-3 save percentage. Um, yeah. He, I think L.A. had 49 shots against Detroit. And he kept them in that game. Um, yeah. But other than that, like, there wasn't much to, to cheer about on that West Coast trip. Um, they were sloppy. They couldn't generate much. Um Oh, one thing I will say, what game was it that Larkin got hurt? Um, was it the Anaheim, um, Anaheim. Anaheim game? So one yep. thing I noticed when Larkin got hurt, um, Raymond elevated his game a lot, which I like to see. Um, because he, he's not been playing bad, but he's not been he, – he hadn't been um, contributing as much. He noticed as much. Um, but – uh, because Larkin was out for the rest of that game, Raymond was getting the puck a lot more. He had it on a stick. He was creating plays. And I really liked what I saw. It was definitely his best game in a while at the time. Um, and I don't know if Blasher was watching too, but um, he he kind of changed their power play entry after that. He started utilizing Raymond a little bit more to gain the zone on their power play because he realized Raymond could do it. Um, which I, I like to see. Well, 
he yeah, and I noticed like more recently and against the game against Dallas. By the way, the Wings played really well that game, and there was one power play uh, where he was on, uh, Raymond was on the ice with Larkin, and uh, Raymond's not the fastest guy in the league, um, but he's very very smart, and he eluded two players in the neutral zone and was able to gain the zone so efficiently, and they were able to further set up and you know tee up a couple shots from the blue line, and um, that was nice to see. But yeah. Uh, like you had mentioned, uh, the wings on that West trip. Um, so LA, Anaheim, San Jose, they were 0-0-2. So two yeah, out of a possible out of six. Yeah. Which is, you know, and typically we do, the wings in the past have done okay on those West Coast trips. But man, oh man, like the, the LA game was obviously a disaster. Anaheim game was a bit better. Um, and obviously what I wanted to touch on with the Anaheim loss, um, I believe it was 4-3 in overtime. Anyways, they or sorry, shootout. Um, oh, I know was, where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, so Zed, Zadina took uh, a lot of heat um, that he, uh, you know, he caused the the tying goal. I believe it was at yeah. the time, and yeah. and forgive me if I'm wrong, but uh, and then Ricard Raquel, I believe, scored that. Yeah. But then, but then, mind he, you, they were on the ice for a long time. Yeah, and they were dead yeah. tired, and it's like. You can't really – like, this is how these young players learn. Yes, if it yeah. does cost them the game, it does hurt. But that's how you learn. It's just how you learn in real life. You make these mistakes, and you learn the hard way, right? Um, and no one's perfect. But what, what was ridiculous was in that game, they, they started uh, Pew Suter and Adam Ernie and then Sider, which the Sider thing I'm okay with. The guy's the best defenseman on the team. It's not even close. But Pew Suter and Adam Ernie. I know. I remember and, I was watching the game and I was like, what the hell is this? And like, to continue, why? to continue, they had Ernie in the shootout as the second shooter. And okay, fine. If it, you know, his stats, his stats in the shootout are actually okay. But why on earth are you starting your, like, I'm not saying they're horrible players, but they're not your offensively gifted players. Like at that point, you, you, you got to have Raymond and Bertuzzi. And I know none of those guys are centers, but you know, maybe you throw Pew Suter out for the draw and then you throw Bertuzzi out or Raymond. But it was beyond me. It took three or so minutes for Raymond to get on the ice in that overtime. And then when and he got on the ice, they were all over the Ducks. Raymond and Zadina. The only chance the only chance the Ducks had in overtime was the, against the Pew Suter. Ernie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Initially. Yeah. And yeah. then after that, you're right. It was literally all Detroit. And then um, there was a shift I think, there. I think Bertuzzi hit a crossbar. And I think Bert- the Red Wings hit a second post as well. Bert- yes, you're right. Yeah, Bertuzzi should have buried that one. That was a hell of a shot. And then, yeah, Raymond. And then um, I guess kind of moving ahead to a similar game was the San Jose game. Uh, they went to overtime as well. And they finally put Philip Zadina on the ice in overtime. Yeah. And he was – or. I'm trying to think here. He was on the no. It was against Anaheim because yeah, it was, Ricard, it was against the Ducks. Yes, yes. Yeah, San Jose scored pretty early into overtime. It was like yes. that fluky goal that was strange. And, and my apologies, folks. But yeah, it was against Anaheim. So because Ricard Raquel, they tallied it up. He was like on the ice for like two and a half, three minutes because like the wings had them hemmed in the zone. Yeah. So Raymond was out there, and then Zadina was yeah. out there, and Zadina was out there for like a minute and a half, two minutes. Yeah. He looked fantastic. I, I was. Yeah. Literally, I was itching for him to score, and he's just once he gets that monkey off his back and gets that goal, I think he it's going to light a fire 
under his rear end. But yeah. I, you at that point, you're really hoping for them, you know, for I or Eisman uh, Zadina to bury it. But uh, yeah, and then obviously they they, they lost in, in San Jose there. But um, I guess you know, I guess the most recent game that um, I was, you know, we watched the national game. They didn't play very good last night there, uh, four to one. But uh, the Dallas game on Friday night. Uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. And that goes back to your point on the crowds this year. The crowd was electric during that yeah. game. Yeah, the and crowds were, have been great this year. Yeah, and that game, like they, that team, the Red Wings played, honestly, like we're going to be used to, like a very competitive yeah. team on a consistent basis yeah. moving forward. Maybe not this year, but for years to come. And, you know, you know, I don't want to blame Nadelkovich for the loss. He did let in two weak goals there yeah. against Dallas, uh, which ultimately did cost us the game. But can't fault the guy. Um, no. He's performed, you know, he's literally performed lights out. But that Dallas game was so much fun to watch. And, yeah. you know, obviously Larkin played fantastic. Bertuzzi played fantastic. Another four-point night for Bertuzzi. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, that, that's something to touch on. Um, I want to touch on. I will, and I don't often give him credit, but I will give Blaschel credit for finally moving Bertuzzi to the second line because I've been saying it for a long while now. Our first line gets stuff done. But beyond that, like, you know, if they're not scoring three, four points a game, they're not winning. Um, so finally moves Bertuzzi down to the second line and it kind of gets some other guys going, looking a bit more confident, having more offensive zone time. And lo and behold, you know, things were going better, um, especially the games against Buffalo. Um, so I will credit Blashel for that. Um, however, I would, instead of Nemestikov playing on the top line with Raymond and Larkin, I would have liked to give Zadina a shot. 1000%. Um, like, like Nemestikov has played good this year. Don't get me wrong. And he probably has earned a little bit of time, but you want to get as a coach of a young team, your job is to utilize your players to develop their confidence. Blaschel's not doing that. And while he made a good decision with Bertuzzi, he 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 equaled a bad decision with um, not putting Zadina on the top line. In my yeah, opinion. he kept him with uh, Rasmussen and yeah. Adam Ernie. But it's yeah. like, I know you want your guys to fight for the ice time. You don't just give it to them just because you're an ex-first-round pick, right? Um, with Zadina being that sixth overall pick there. But, you, you know, things aren't working, right? Like, and when you're a young team, you're trying to figure out, you know, the culture of the team, the identity of the team, right? You need to, like you said, you have to put them in a position to succeed. And I know we talked about this in episode one, but it's just frustrating. And Zadina has, like, he's set up some nice plays. He's gotten some nice one-timers off on the yeah. uh, the power play. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he's working his butt off. It's just – and I just don't like that he – He's always the um, the target of bad criticism. Yeah. Um, like I said, in the Anaheim game, he cost that goal. But that's, you know, and maybe it makes him perform better when he sees that negative media attention. But I just don't like how fans attack him right away. Like, it's a young player trying to still figure out his identity in the NHL, right? Yeah. We, at this point, we don't know if he's going to be a, a top six winger, right? Um, playing on the top two lines. Yeah, He could be a third line winger. He could be a guy that... Eisman, for all we know, trades. 
We don't know. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So anyhow, but yes, congrats to uh, Alex Nadalkovich on his first shutout as a Red Wing. Uh, many more to come. Um, yeah. He has been absolutely fantastic this year and it's been exciting and a breath of fresh air for Red Wings fans yeah. uh, to, to see. So I guess without further ado, we got to touch out what's going on out West there. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, and, living in Alberta, there's uh, not many happy Oilers fans around uh, here. And, and nor <laughs> should they be. Um, yeah. So, you know, for those that don't know, obviously the Edmonton Oilers are a struggling, struggling hockey team amidst all that talent. They, uh, I believe it was prior to last night's game against Calgary. They, they did play really well against Calgary, but, and we'll touch on that, but it was their first win or sorry, second win. I can't remember the stat they had said it was two wins since December like 2nd. December, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was yeah. two wins since December 2nd. And I believe that was prior to the, the game against Calgary. And, oh, what a blow up. Like, they're, you know, the media is not only attacking, you know, McDavid and Drysaddle, as you guys have all seen Drysaddle getting a little bit bitter on air. But Tippett, you know, a couple weeks back was attacked. Um, well, Ken, Ken Holland had to hold a press conference. Yeah. Uh, uh, a media availability because – people wanted answers and in the press conference Ken Holland kind of kicked himself in the butt because he basically said well I'm not making any uh, changes well and I mean my dad so my dad is uh from Edmonton he's uh born and raised uh Albertan and diehard Oilers fan and we were watching the game last night against Calgary and they went down to nothing and then Obviously, they you know they had a great great second period. It was actually probably one of the best periods of hockey they've ever they've played. Sorry, I should say this season. But I, I even told my dad it brought up the point, you know, and Ken Holland, you know, and loyalty is good in, in the in the NHL world, but also loyalty can also provide to be a negative as well because when you're too loyal to a certain player, you tend to give them a longer contract, overpay. Yeah. You know, Wings fans are accustomed to that with many, many bad contracts that Holland get, you know, yep. signed. But uh, what I would say is it poses the question, like, and he's done it in his past with the Erie Otters in the OHL. Would McDavid consider requesting a trade? Ha- you know, if this uh, negativity continues, um, not only just with the media, but with their performance on the ice. I mean, well, so when Ken Holland was signed by the Oilers in uh, two years ago. Um, McDavid and his agent requested a meeting with Ken Holland. And you know, I don't have every inside information, but there's reports out there that state that McDavid uh, and his agent uh, requested Ken Holland with kind of an outline of his two-year plan because McDavid wanted to see the team imp- improved within two years. Well... Two years is almost up, and there's zero signs of improvement. It's uh, actually besides, besides McDavid and Drysidle who continue to dominate. Um, their cold ending still sucks, and it's still a huge problem for them. And their defense is still a very weak defense. You know, Nurse is a good defenseman, um, but that's not a cup winning. That's not even a deep playoff run decor. Um, not a chance. Not a chance. There's not enough secondary scoring. I don't blame Dave. I don't blame Dave Tippett at all. Um, I think Dave Tippett's a great coach. He's been great wherever he's been. Um, but 
you know, it's hard to be a successful coach when you're not being given pieces of improvement to build your team around. Well, and like I said, I remember back when um, McDavid played for and, – and, and sorry, before I get into that point, actually, you know, Drysaddle was very bitter on the air the other night because yeah. um, obviously the, the media is – is hounding over these players with their lack of success. Right. Right. You know, given the last, uh, you know, 15 game stretch there, but clearly like I, you know, I, I only put myself in his position. I'd be bitter too. Like it's you, you, when you're at the tip top of your game, which McDavid and dry clearly are, you want to win. You don't just go to the NHL and say, yeah, you know, I, I don't really want to win a cup. I'll just, you know, play out my 15 year career and then retire. You want to win a cup. I don't care what, nationality of hockey player you are when you become a hockey player and play at that that top level you want to win at the end of the day and you'll do whatever you can to win um so obviously he's bitter but yeah mcdavid uh the mcdavid point there when he played for erie um things weren't going erie's way this is back in the ohl days and he you know he wanted to see improvement mcdavid is a competitive competitive player probably one of the most if not the most competitive player there is in the nhl and he just didn't see improvement at that point, and he yeah. requested a trade. And yeah. so I understand the NHL is a lot different than the OHL, but you got to think this guy is putting up record numbers. So is Drysaddle, year in and year out. They want to win. And like, and make, all, how old is McDavid now? He's got to be what, like twenty? He's a he's a ninety-seven. So he would be yeah twenty. He's going on twenty-five. Yeah. So, I mean, he's already 25, and I mean, you know, you know, it might sound young to some people, but, um, you know, you're in your prime in the NHL these days, probably from, what, 25 to 38? Well, yeah, I guess, yeah. As a forward, I'd say 25 to 29, maybe 25 to 30. Defenseman, it might be a little bit later. Uh, yeah, defenseman's definitely later, yeah, yeah. But still, though, um, he, you know, and, like, how good he is and, and no disrespect dry settles just as good, but it leads you to the question would either of these two or both ever request a trade out of Edmonton yeah. and, you know, and, and obviously Edmonton's a great, great hockey market, but there's only so much a player can take. Right. Yeah. And, and when you're not seeing changes, it's just like in the everyday world, if you're not seeing changes, positive changes, whether it's work or, you know, even your own personal workout schedule or hockey or whatever it may be, you want to see changes, right? Like, yeah. and you can't just, there's only so much they're going to put up with. Right. And unfortunately those two guys, especially McDavid are the face of the franchise and they're taking the wrath of this. Um, and obviously so is Tippett too, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do at the deadline. I personally think at a very least they got to get a quality goaltender and, uh, and we'll, yeah. and we'll touch on that with trade deadline targets, but they need at least a quality proven goaltender and, I would say at least a top four defenseman to have any shot in getting anywhere in the playoffs past the first round, let alone make the playoffs at this point. Yeah, at this point. I mean, the Red Wings, I believe, are ahead (laughs) of the Oilers right now. (laughs) For sure, for sure. And (laughs) and obviously, the NHL, the season won't end out that way. Right, no, no. Well, it shouldn't end out that way. (laughs) it, it, It does put a thought in your head. Like, Detroit has already exceeded expectations this year. Yeah. And... The fact that they're ahead, and and with Edmonton's start, I mean, they were no one could stop them. They were they were scoring goals left and right from all over yeah. the ice. Yeah, and but now but it's that like, was their problem because you know being around a lot of Oilers fans here, 
I, 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 even I used to always tell my kids at school because you know a lot of them are Oilers fans. I would say, you know, yeah, yeah, the Oilers are good right now, but go look at the stats, right? I said the Oilers are winning games four three, you know, five four, whatever, but they're being outshot every game, like thirty eight to like twenty four, let's say, um, like consistently they were letting high thirties in shots. That is not a recipe of success in the NHL, especially in the playoffs. So I said, as soon as the goaltending starts to fall down, as soon as the defense starts to fall down, they're screwed. And it's happened. And the Oilers are realizing, and their fans are realizing, they are no different than they were last year or the year before that, and so on and so forth. Oh, There's they've gotten no real improvements. They've they haven't even maintained the 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 level of years past. They're actually they've gotten worse. Like they have gotten worse. And yes, we'll see if, you know, I think that second period last night, Oilers versus the Flames, there was awesome hockey and they finally start scoring and they, you know, you could see a jump in the teams and then Dreisaitl capped it off uh, with five or six minutes left there in the third period and to, you know, to, to put them up four, three, and maybe this is a sign of things to come. Maybe they do gain momentum from this. Maybe they, you know, go back to their old ways, but yeah, got to be a frustrated group in Edmonton and, and rightfully so. Um, when you yeah. have that amount of talent on the team, you the fans need to see results. Uh, like yeah. when you got two of the best players, and when I say best, two of the top players in the world as your one-two centerman, like you know, yeah, I don't care how bad the rest of your team is, you still should be able to put up some wins. Um, and and it's pathetic the the, the fact that they had two wins since December 2nd. Like that is, and I get teams go through struggles and, and the wings have gone through many struggles with talented teams, but that is really bad. But, oh, that was, but the Red Wings had, like even when they were going through struggles, we knew what their team consisted of, right? For like, sure, for sure. But um, yeah. Like they, we knew our defense would end up being reliable in the playoffs. We knew our goaltending would get it done for the most part up until Jimmy Howard took over. Uh, the Oilers don't have that. They, they, the fans can't sit there and say, okay, well, things will work itself out because they won't until they actually improve their team. And if I, you're right. If I'm Connor McDavid, I'm going to start thinking to myself, how much longer do I want to put up with this? Well, it's just, it goes back to like, you think about like, I compare Connor McDavid to uh, Carey Price, obviously totally different positions but they're equally as valuable to their team. If yeah. you think about it, I'm not and you can't compare, you got to compare apples to apples, but McDavid is obviously super valuable to his team. He is the face of the franchise, but then you think about it. Carey Price is the face of the franchise. The re, big reason why Montreal went on that cup run last year was Carey Price. And then the uh, yeah. fact that they even made the playoffs. Yeah. So you think about Carey Price, like, you know, it's got to be frustrating for a player to have that much skill and that much heart for the team and not win a cup. And I get it. It's super hard to win a cup, especially in today's NHL. But McDavid, is, it's going to – yeah, you're right. And same with Drysdale. It's going to get to a point that they're like, okay, how long are we going to do this, right? And yeah. especially when, like you said, they have this amount of years remaining for their good years as a, uh, as a forward. Um, so, yeah, a lot of drama. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but I uh, thought that would be good to bring up. So – Maybe Ken Holland could be like a double agent and trade, uh, end up trading McDavid to Detroit uh, for like, uh, you know, Larkin and two first or something like that. 
And then yeah, he'll instantly get fired, and then Eisenman will just give him some fake job in Detroit. <laughs> some some new role, yeah. No. Yeah. So the tire anyways, kicker. <laughs> kicking those tires every every yeah. trade deadline. But yeah. no, anyhow, um, moving on here. So just wanted to touch briefly, obviously, on other sports. You know, exciting time for NFL fans. Um, you know, obviously, really, really super exciting game there last night. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you caught it or not, but uh, Green Bay and San Francisco. Um, oh, you feel you feel for the uh, the Green Bay fans. I know Wings fans have endured a lot of heartbreaks, but it was just crazy. Ten to three, the game in Green Bay's hand, and uh, the gentleman blocks the uh, the punt attempt, and then they they score the touchdown to tie it up, and then the uh, crushing field goal uh, at the end of the game for San Fran. Um, and then obviously other games as well. Um, huge games uh, today, uh, LA and Tampa. Um, so you got two awesome quarterbacks and Matt Stafford and Tom Brady dueling it out. And it's nice to see like Matt Stafford coming from the, uh, the, the Lions organization where he had yeah. uh, had success personally but as a team, never really had that any team, success. Has that team ever been successful? I think the most successful team the Lions did was set the record for undefeated. Or not undefeated, <laughs> I mean defeated. They started defeated. the preseason that year. I think they, they were undefeated in the preseason. And then they lost every single game of the regular season. Yeah, like, it's how do you do that. <laughs> it goes to show. Um, <laughs> sorry for those Lions fans out there. I am one too, just not super diehard. But it goes to show you how much ownership and management plays into these professional yeah, organizations. It's not just hockey, but like yeah. you think about it right now in Detroit sports, the two best teams positioned right now currently are, are by far it's the Red Wings and the Detroit Tigers. And it's no coincidence they're owned by the Illich family. Yeah. The Pistons, yeah, they're, you know, am I a playoff team? Am I not? Obviously, this year they're really, really struggling. And the Lions, it's just, man, yeah, I just feel so bad uh, for these diehard fans that go, you know, game in and game out with hope. Um, you know, obviously we wish them success for the future. Hopefully they do draft well, um, especially this draft and uh, next year's draft. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens in the NFL here. I think that's going to be a great game. Um, two, two awesome quarterbacks dealing it out. And then you have a uh, battle of the diehard franchises in KC, Kansas city and, and Buffalo, uh, should be a great game as well. At least um, Buffalo has a good football team because man, their hockey team. Uh, just... <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we could spend a whole episode on that, on that team, but oh, I know I meant um, to talk about that earlier, but I won't, you know, it's been a well, long episode already. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. We'll uh, we'll talk about that in later episodes. But uh, yeah, so um, I guess the last thing, and um, just to, you know, before we wrap up, uh, is just uh, just speaking on the tr- you know very preliminary trade deadline talks. Uh, obviously, what we you know it's uh, I can't even remember the date now um, for trade it's, deadline. It's early March. Early March, three p.m. Regardless, yeah. we just wanted to kind of. Uh, get it out there on what uh, what teams are looking for, what teams are looking, you know, what players are available, and in, you know, from a Red Wing perspective, uh, I, I think there's a handful of players that uh, are going to draw a ton of interest at the deadline. Yeah. And the Red Wings, it's yeah, the Red Wings are definitely going to be sellers this year, guaranteed. Um, there's like even if we were like in a bubble, Steve Eiserman said in his Nick Liston press conference, we are staying on course. Um, we're not going to rush things because that's not how a good rebuild goes. Nope. So we're definitely going to be sellers. Um, you know, a few guys could be available. Uh, Thomas Grice, 
Um, if a team might be interested in acquiring a reliable backup goalie. Um, Nick Letty for sure. Nick Letty for sure. Possibly Mark Stahl. Uh, I think he'd uh, be a great playoff player for a number five or number six for a team looking to go deep. And with Mark Stahl, the only thing is he's got a, an NMC, no movement clause, so he'll have to move that. But, yeah. man, he, he could really solidify um, oh, a sure. team's back end. He is so good defensively. And obviously Nick Letty could, yeah. could either play and, a top Having said role. that about both those two, um, I've loved, especially Stahl's been in Detroit longer than just one year. But uh, I love both of them and their roles on Detroit. Um, so um, I'm sure Stevie would uh, talk to them in advance and say, hey, I'm interested in doing this. If we do, would you be interested in coming back? And kind of coming into a kind of nonverbal agreement um, to bring them back because their, their expertise is really valuable for young defensemen like Sider and Edmondson. Um, so that's kind of what I would expect Stevie Y to do. For sure. Um, and I would say, like, and at this point, uh, Steve Eisman has proven that he, he makes moves on a whim. Like, it, it comes under yeah, nobody no one knows. Yeah. So, I mean, look at Mantha last year. Exactly. Uh, for all we know, Sedina, Rasmussen, Valeno. Yeah. yeah. Three, three guys that I want to keep my eye on because maybe, you know, as much as I think they have a lot of promise and the ceiling is high, maybe not for Rasmussen, but. I'm not really high on Rasmussen, yeah. but Zadina and Valeno, personally, I think they have yeah. a ceiling there. Yeah. Um, is there a window? I would say the window for Zadina is, is kind of closing a little bit just with his, uh, his ability to impress the Red Wings organization. I think that is kind of closing a little bit, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, at this point, it, it could be – I think at the end of the day, your untouchables are obviously Dylan Larkin, Lucas Raymond, Maurice Sider. Um, and obviously prospects like Berggren, um, Edvinson, Wallander, yeah. these, these types. Yeah. Um, but I would say a guy like Wallander or Johansson, maybe they are thrown in for a package deal. Um, but at the end of the day, Raymond Sider, Edvinson are not going anywhere. No, no chance uh, I, of that I happening. Eiserman, um, whole, I think if he were to trade a guy like Zadina, he wouldn't do it at the trade deadline. He would do it at the draft. Um, Agreed. Because, because the Red Wings, the problem with the Red Wings exceeding expectations this year is that they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're also not going to be in a position to get a like a top five draft pick. Um, so, so I w- sorry, I would agree with you. Uh, waiting, uh, Zadina to to trade him in the off season, but I would also disagree with you because I personally think Zadina, if you know, maybe they pull the trigger uh, at the deadline because maybe they have a fear that his value goes down even further towards the end of the season. Maybe he continues to slump on this on this goal drought. Maybe they realize his value is at, at its highest right now, and they and they they can garnish more um, in a return. So at this point, we don't know though. Um, well, I mean, if someone comes knocking on Eiserman's door and they say, "Hey, you know," and Eiserman sees a good. Uh, trade proposal, then I mean, obviously, he'll probably jump on it. But if there's if there's something there, but like uh, you know, it's not like night and day. Iserman won't do it. But I mean, if you were to wait to the draft, and let's say the Red Wings draft that number tenth overall, let's say hypothetically, well, maybe Stevie Y could pull pull off a deal to move us up to I don't know, like a fifth spot or a sixth spot or something. And they to, trade 
a couple of later picks to, yeah. to move them up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because this year is going to be the last year the Red Wings get anywhere near a top ten draft pick because they're going to be improved too much uh, going into next year. Assuming Edmonton makes the team, which assuming Edmonton makes the team, which I, I think don't it's see a no brainer. Yeah. So I think this is a very important draft for Detroit specifically to get a centerman, whether it be a clear cut number one centerman or whether it be uh, a centerman um, on an equal scale of Dylan Larkin. Yeah. And I, like, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a great point. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's a, this is a huge draft for the Red Wings. Whether they, yeah, like you said, whether they are tenth overall, whether they fall to sixth overall, we we don't know. But at the end of the day, that's why draft day is so exciting for the NHL because um, not only are you drafting a future, hopefully, future group of prospects that are going to pan out with your organization, but the ability to make trades at the at the uh, draft, right, yeah. where you can move up, move down. Maybe yeah. you get when you move down, you get more spots. When you move up, you uh, you give up a couple later draft yeah. picks to, to do so, right? So, and Eisman's proven that he's done that in the past. So yeah. that'll be interesting. So, yeah, um, I mean, if if Eisman, uh has a player he wants and he doesn't think he'll get him unless he moves up, he'll move up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, that was our trade deadline preview. Uh, and now we're talking about the draft. But I mean, other teams uh, who, who might have players available, like there's Klingberg. He could become available. Yeah, Klingberg is on an expiring contract. And I know based on what I've read, the uh, negotiations have kind of hit a standstill. So there's obviously going to be a ton of teams that are um, – going to be looking for him personally i think he would be a guy that the leafs should be 100 percent looking at no, or, or the oilers or the oilers like um, yeah especially the oilers their decor really needs help i still think toronto their decor needs help um yeah and and you know in years past it's proven to to be their weak point right yeah um so john clingbury will be huge to see whether dallas you know retains him and resigns him um another big name is mark andre fleury uh, man, oh man, he, he, for sure, obviously Klingberg, I would imagine would be a first, a prospect and another high end prospect or a first, a high, another high draft pick and a prospect at least for the value he brings. But, uh, flurry for sure could be a first round pick too. And yeah. obviously, you know, Chicago is not making the playoffs this year. And he, he also too has a no movement clause. So, um, he will have a say, uh, whether he stays or goes, but there's a guy that the, I mean, the Oilers, in my opinion, should be all over um, for their lack thereof goaltending. Um, it's just a matter of what price is Ken Holland willing to pay. Uh, but in my opinion, they should be all over Marc-Andre Fleury and, and the experience that he brings. He's he's won the cup. He's been there, done that. Um, and the amount of value he brings in the locker room, too. He's a locker room yeah. guy. Uh, yeah. Players love playing alongside him. So... That'll be interesting, and, and obviously, a lot of teams, other teams, will be in line for Fleury. Um, and then, I guess, well, I guess we'll continue on here. I think Chitrin. That'll be interesting to see Jacob Chitrin um, out yeah. of Arizona. Um, it'd be funny to see if the Red Wings try to reacquire him uh, because they did back in the Ken Holland days have an opportunity to draft yeah, him, but but ele- elected to to go with Dennis Chalowski. So that'll be a, right now. My understanding is the price is super high for Chitrin. Yeah. Rightfully so. He's a young, proven defenseman, but um, I, it's going to be tough for a lot of teams to to kind of swallow that that price. Yeah. Um, another another guy is like we spoke of earlier is Carey Price. Um, I at this point, I guess it's kind of unknown 
what is what is what his health status is and when his return is. But if if you know if other teams can somehow prove that he's got the game, he's got the health to come back. You better believe in he's a guy too, Edmonton. Uh, if if he does have the ability to come back this season, they should be all over him. The only thing is with that is he carries obviously a huge contract hit more so than on uh, Mark Andre Fleury. I believe he's making about ten million a year. Um, so there'd have to be some you know some cap calculations there, retainment of salary and whatnot. Yeah, and then we'll see. Jonas Corposello is another goaltender that uh, that is on the market because Columbus doesn't look to be in a playoff race. So they are um, an would, interesting team. <laughs> They're just I, every year, just you know, they do have some very, very exciting players, but they're just you know, they're always that inconsistent borderline playoffs. Yeah. So, well, and that's the difference see. between teams going through that or teams who know how to do a rebuild because teams who know how to do a re- rebuild, they're consistent when they're done. Teams like Columbus and Calgary, you know, they're one year they're great, one year they're shit in the bed, like it's just how it is. So for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, appreciate, appreciate you guys, uh, listening in. I know this was a longer episode <laughs> for future episodes. We're going to try to keep it around an hour or so. Uh, yeah. but obviously, you know, we had a lot to talk about this one. Um, Chris, I don't know if you want to chime in. Yeah, no, uh, definitely a little bit longer than, uh, probably would have liked, but, uh, at the end of the day, when you start talking about hockey, when you are passionate about hockey, it's really easy to just I mean, we could stay here for hours just talking away. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, for future episodes, we are going to be releasing uh, each new episode every Sunday. Um, so stay tuned every Sunday for a new episode. Um, and then, you know, on important weeks and stuff like that, we, we'll have probably more than one episode a week when there's a lot of news going around. Uh, and we'll keep you informed with everything Red Wings and more. For sure, and then eventually it would be nice to have uh, like a text-in number or something like that if we do have listeners that, uh, you know, and, and obviously, you know, folks, like if you guys think that we're out of our mind or if we say a point where you don't agree on, we, we 100% want to hear, hear from you. Like disagreement is great. This is what sports is all about, Dis- healthy disagreement, agreement. Um, and, uh, yeah, absolutely, we, we – give you the power to to do that in future episodes obviously we don't have that arranged yet but um we appreciate uh you guys tuning in yeah and uh for my couple of student listeners if you disagree with me you will get suicides in gym class (laughs) (laughs) make them run line to line eh that's right they know (laughs) uh you probably have you probably have all those uh albertans now uh converted to red wings fans well it would have been a lot easier if they were the glory days red wings but i think you know Give it a couple of years, and I think a lot of these kids will be converted because the Oilers will still suck, and the Red Wings will be a scary good team. Yeah, uh, wait who, and see. And who knows? Maybe McDavid will be in the Red Wings. I mean, that's a far cry. I mean, I'm, no. I, one can one can only imagine and hope, but yeah, could you imagine that, eh? Yeah, imagine anyhow. McDavid and Edmondson. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh, that. Uh... That only exists in a dream. So, but uh, yeah, no, thanks for listening. Um, Let's go Red Wings. And uh, hope you guys all have a great rest of your Sunday. Yeah. And uh, I'll see you next week. Sounds good. Cheers. All right. Later.